Hi, and welcome to Finance Matters, a podcast brought to you by UVA Finance, UVA's trusted financial partner. Finance Matters is a podcast series where we bring you bite-sized thoughts, stories, and inspiration in the hopes that they'll be useful to you on this road that we're all on to do our best and be our best in the realm of financial matters here at UVA. I'm your host, Brandi Van Ormer, here today in the FEEP offices with Patty Marbury of Finance Outreach and Compliance. Patty, we've been having a good time so far. Yes, we have. We've been here, um, we've already had a good 30 minute long conversation with our guest on this pod today, who is Anna DeLong. Anna is a licensed clinical social worker and certified employee assistance professional and mindfulness teacher trained by the University of Massachusetts Center for Mindfulness. And y'all, she has so many cool things to tell us about today. Um, we, like I said, we've been talking already for about a half an hour, and Patty at one point said, are we recording? We should be recording this. Yes. <laughs> so um, we know from talking with Anna now for a good while that we need to come back and talk with Anna some more. So there are some things that we will not be able to give full treatment to today that um, listeners should know that we have every intent of revisiting with Anna. And I hope that you'll ask questions. Um, and send suggestions and respond to the pod with further things that you'd like to know about this. But without further ado, Anna, you said you especially wanted to share some thoughts that you um, had about resilience, because that's what we're talking about today, is mindfulness and resilience. So we're just gonna let you jump right in. Oh, well, thank you, and I'm very honored to be here, and I I really love what you're doing and your investment to promote um, employee wellness. So I'm so impressed with what you're doing. I'm Thanks for your time and expertise. Yeah, yeah. appreciate yeah. it. So I'll jump right in by, I mean, a really common, um, a common uh, definition of resiliency I think that most people are aware of is re- to resiliency is the rapidity with which we recover from something, adversity or a challenge. And um, what what's really interesting recently, Richie, Richard Davidson from the University of Wisconsin um, has been talking about well-being in terms of being a skill and he talks about there's things that we can do with resiliency um, to train to strengthen our ability to be resilient for example um, and, and mindfulness is one of those things but the my favorite definition of resiliency comes from Dean Becker and I love this definition because I find it very empowering it is resiliency is a wise deployment of limited resources. Ooh, I do like that too. Mm-hmm. Because a wise deployment. Of we are in resources. a world that requires a lot of us, and it feels like your inner resources can get depleted quickly. Oh yeah. And in times of organizational change and busy lives that accompany all the individuals involved in that change, those resources can get depleted even more quickly. Oh, a hundred percent. And one way to have a wise deployment with them, I think about this, like a, uh, my bucket analogy. <laughs> so I think about picturing two buckets. One of them has holes in the bottom and the other one doesn't. And I only have a finite amount of drinking water. Which bucket should I use to carry the water in? The one without the holes. Obviously the one without holes. So using the bucket without holes is a wise deployment of limited resources. Using the bucket without holes is like focusing my thoughts and my energy and my time and my attention on things that are within my control. And I love it too because saying that you're going to focus, you're going to use that bucket without holes, that to me implies that it is worth all our time and attention on ourselves to ensure that our bucket doesn't have holes. People sometimes, I think, have a hard time focusing on themselves. 
well, and taking care of themselves. Yeah, like and I want to come back. I have a gauge, a self-aware, self-care that I want to. I very much want to come back and address what you just said. Um, can I have one minute before I do that? Absolutely. To just mention the other bucket with the bucket with holes is 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 sometimes a slippery slope and it's tantalizing. And, but when we use the bucket with holes in the bottom, that's like focusing our energy and attention on things that are outside of our control. So like the, then it's kind of it's a and it's like I pour water in the bucket with holes. It goes on the floor. I don't have anything to show for my effort. That is not a wise deployment of limited resources. In fact, you have a mess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we've talked in other podcasts about um, we did, we did a four part series on crucial conversations, and um, we talked a lot about that about in, in that about the ability to focus really on the things that are within your control. Yeah. And yeah. so you can't control what other people's thoughts or feelings or actions are. Yeah. You can only start with yourself. That's right. And so that's really what you need to spend your time on is really yeah. what what do you bring to it? Exactly. And not only is that a wise deployment of limited resources when we begin to kind of live our life that way we recognize how we can be most empowered. Mm-hmm. And in terms of what you said earlier about how important it is to kind of attend to our own needs, I think talk about having self-aware self-care. And um, what's interesting in this culture is that it's, it's clear to pretty much everyone in our culture that if I'm going to drive across, I'm t- tomorrow I'm leaving to drive to Indiana to go see my oldest daughter. And if I tried to do that without making time and resources to pause, pull over, and refuel along the way, what's going to happen? You're going to run out of gas. I'm going to run out of gas, and I'm going to be stuck on the side of the road. Yeah, you're not going to reach your destination. I won't reach my destination. And if my car is stuck on the side of the road, does that mean it's a bad car? Or does it just means I didn't put gas in it? So we get that with the mechanics. What's crazy to me in our culture is we don't apply that same wisdom to our bodies. And what if you had an inner energy gauge? And it monitored not just your physical energy, but it also monitored your cognitive energy. I mean, have you ever you know, suddenly couldn't remember your phone number or mm-hmm. <laughs> the car keys in the freezer? Or maybe that's just me. No, no it's <laughs> <But> not. <laughs> that might be a sign, rather than beating ourselves up for these kinds of things, yeah. that might be a sign that maybe we're running low on gas, you know, low on energy. We've been, we need to do something to refuel. Right. Or a gauge to measure our emotional energy. Have you ever noticed low frustration t- tolerance or you blow a gasket, or you get upset quickly about something that normally you can roll with, rather than beating ourselves up, what if we just begin to recognize that as a sign that we're depleted? You know, we may have been just expending a lot of energy out uh, for other people and haven't balanced it out by giving ourselves energy back. We were talking before we started recording about how mindfulness breeds resiliency or like it it may that is how where we get resiliency because minds that wander minds that try to multitask minds that are kind of mindless um are actually draining to our brains and that we can from focusing from being mindful we can find the resources that our brains need to flourish and that our whole persons need to flourish and um, you had shared with us a, a resource that I'll be sure and link in the show notes about how to apply mindfulness in day-to-day living. If you could just talk a little bit more about that, because this is one of those topics that Patty and I have addressed in the podcast a few times, and we always end up stressing how this is a real practical thing and not 
something inaccessible at all. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Um, so um, it, that comes back to that when I was talking about self-aware, self-care. Yeah. So that's the self-aware piece. So the first thing to do is to really be able to pay attention to how am I doing what's going on in the moment. Um, and there's two ways that our, our brain kind of has that experiential mode or the narrative mode where, or the multitasking phase where um, you know, you're all familiar with that inner dialogue. Mm-hmm. It's often because of the negativity bias in the brain and the untrained brain, it's often scanning and that inner dialogue is negative. It's mm-hmm. like looking for things that are wrong or that I don't like or I wish was different. And, um, or, uh, or if we're just multitasking physically. Both of those modes for the brain or ways of being are exhausting and they take us out of the moment. When I met with Rick Hansen years ago when he came to UVA, he's taught, he said how we have a mind and a brain and a body and that our mind can change our brain, which then can change our mind. And when he first said that, it went over my head. I'm like, I don't know what he means by that. And I asked him to say more. And when he said more, I said, oh, I get it. It's like Star Trek. <laughs> and he, he, he kind of had that same response and said, tell me more. So when I explained to him what I was thinking, he said, yes, that's exactly it. So with Star Trek, we think about having the captain of the ship, the bridge, the control room where all the specialists are, mm-hmm. and then the starship. So the captain is like my mind. In my case, it's female. The control room or the bridge is like my brain and the starship is like my body. And ideally, we want the brain on the bridge guiding the process. And so the, the captain of the ship is in there guiding it. And sometimes the captain leaves the bridge and it's on its own. And an example of that might be, have you ever been in the shower and your head's getting washed and your body's getting washed, but you're not in the shower? Yeah, you're rehashing conversations you had earlier in the day. And yeah, I've done yeah. that before and I'll think, did I did I wash my hair? Like <laughs> <laughs> I've actually washed my hair twice before yeah. because I forget. Yeah. So you're probably speaking for all of us. <laughs> yeah. Or Brandy, you you gave an example earlier about getting to work and you think, how did I get, how did I get here? I don't, I, I, the whole drive is over and I am here and that's good. Yeah. But it's scary. <laughs> so that would be examples of when our mind and our brain and our body are not in the same place at the same time doing the same thing. And while there are our culture requires, or often our job requires multitasking at times, or we have to kind of do more than one thing quickly. I think the, the message I'd like to offer and encourage people to consider is don't have that be what you're doing all the time. Mm-hmm. Because that's really draining and exhausting for our brain, which then affects our whole body. So if you can make time every day, or even a few minutes, there's formal ways to practice it and there's informal ways to practice it. But time every day to practice having your mind and your brain and your body in the same place doing the same thing at the same time. Mm-hmm. In your shower analogy, you yeah. talked about being present as like feeling how the water feels, smelling your shampoo, like that almost, when you really are present like that and you find yourself in a moment, it does become like a, like a mini spa trip for a second. Like what, I remember walking out of my, I used this example the other day in when we were talking to David Germano about walking out of my daughter's daycare and my phone was going off and other kids were running in yelling and it, you know, it's a high energy situation and I was thinking about what I needed to do for work and I looked out across um, the morning there and the mountains in the distance and I thought for just a couple of seconds, I was, my mind, body and my brain yeah. were all together and 
and smelling the air and looking at the sun coming in and thinking, ah, yeah. And it was yeah. it was a pause that refreshed. Yeah. <laughs> so the the practical examples that you give in your your sheet here um, talk about noticing the food that you eat or how you listen, how you experience things. And it, it doesn't have to be something as obvious as, you know, my nature moment. Like, wherever you are, you can be wholly present, and yeah. that has a restorative effect. Yeah, I think whatever, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, I love that nature moment. Those are some of my favorite mindful moments. I'm just glad that I too. live in Virginia where there's so many yeah. great opportunities to have them. There, yeah. are, there <laughs> really are. So there's, there's formal ways to practice, which mm-hmm. we have, there's many places where you can go to get guided at mindfulness exercises that anywhere from a few minutes to an hour, um, and it's, w- begin wherever you are, a few mm-hmm. minutes a day, if that's all you can do, it's a great place to begin. There's lots of resources I can send to you. Um, and then these informal examples mm-hmm. are, like one, one playful example is, is do things with your non-dominant hand. Mm-hmm. Like oh, brush your teeth with your non-dominant hand, open doors with your non-dominant hand, use your mouse with your non-dominant hand. For the advanced, use chopsticks with your non-dominant yeah. hand. Because it, you have to pay more attention when you're doing that. And Mine would just be, use chopsticks. <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that would have your attention, you'd have to be present. <laughs> exactly. But it, what, what peop, when I've talked to people about trying this before, what's interesting is they'll, sw- they'll brush their teeth with their non-dominant hand, and they're present at, in the beginning, and then they drift off, and their body clicks in and takes over and puts the toothbrush back in their dominant hand. That's funny. Going, how did that get there? Uh, that's, that's so funny. funny. So it, there's just there's are just sort of playful ways to begin to mm-hmm. experiment with it. I really love th- this these um, real life mindfulness practice the sheet that you're going to to put in the show notes of, the, of today because when we left our session with David Germano, I said you know I really love this because I'm the type of person that that feels like. If I'm going to do this, I have to go all in. So if you're going to tell me about mindfulness and that it's yoga and it's um, meditation, you know, for a half hour a day, then I'm either going to say, okay, I got to do it, or I'm not going to do it at all. And so when I was so relieved to hear, I mean, I knew this, I know this, like, intellectually, yeah. 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 But when I saw that, oh no, there are just really practical things you can do that don't take any time. You're doing these things already. Yeah. And, it's stuff, and it's stuff that we totally know. I mean, everybody's been in a meeting where you have not been paying attention to the meeting. You have had your laptop open and you've been doing something else. And you you get out of that meeting and like you just didn't get anything out of that. And also, you didn't fully engage with what you were doing when you were quote-unquote multitasking. So it's very frustrating and not fruitful to work constantly in that way Mode, of being. Yeah, yeah it's just, yeah. it's always going to leave you feeling a little less than fulfilled. I mean, there are times that it happens, and I'm not judging anybody who's done it, because I certainly have. Yeah. <laughs> not in a, right. in a meeting that I had with any of you who are listening, though. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> but it is something that we, we just tend to do too much. We're in that mode too much. And yeah, well, I see this at meetings all the time. Yeah. You know, that people that are not fully present. We know you're and not taking notes on the meeting. Stop saying that. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but one of the practical mindfulness practices is practice being fully present when with someone else. See them, hear them, feel them, touch them, 
smell them. Well, we don't say that you should touch everything. Well, you, you Sense probably, their emotions, feelings, dreams, and needs. You know, yeah. just be fully present with that person. And, um, and it's a smart thing, too, because we all yeah. work with people. We have colleagues. We need to understand one another and work with one another. And you can miss some really vital information if you're not fully present. Yeah. Right. And so I, you know, kind of challenge people to be fully present. In, yeah. In whether you're with one-on-one with someone or in meetings. Yeah. Just in general. Well, I but I love these mindfulness practices. Well, and I love that you're arriving there. We just did um, two debriefings or two training sessions with uh, um, teams. We divided the teams in half. And we asked a key question like, we, we did a dyad speaking exercise where we were practicing really mindful listening, essentially. It's like listening as if, I heard this expression from Jeff Cox, listening as if every cell in your body is an ear. And um, it's not a great expression. <laughs> and you're listening um, to, to listen to bear witness kindly, not listening to respond, not listening to interrupt, compare, or judge, but right. just listening to bear witness kindly. And when we were asking the diet question was, share a story about um, an experience that was meaningful to you at work. And what was really interesting, there was a common theme when people were talking about things that were meaningful, they had to do with connection. Mm -hmm. So that kind of links in with exactly what you were saying, Mm -hmm. both of you, about we miss so much when we're not present. And so many people were nourished by their work because of feeling a connection with someone they're working with. And in order to really feel that, it, it requires having your mind and your brain and your body be with you in that moment with the person. And well, 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 also, ahead, yeah. say, well, nothing is more discouraging to the person either leading the meeting or I'm a trainer, so it's happened to me plenty of times where mm-hmm. you look out and people are yeah. texting or people are not, you know, you feel like. Am I talking they, to myself? Right, <laughs> am I talking to myself? And. It's so disheartening. And it's really important, too, coming up on a time where things, where where we're being asked to think about things differently, to think with new minds and different eyes about how we do what we do. Mm -hmm. And we're being asked as a part of transformation to step outside some of those, we've always done it this way type paths that are well-worn and think about how could it be? And Mm -hmm. how could we do these things? And I think it requires focus and attention and we talked a bit before this started we're going to have to come back and talk to you more about this because it was a fascinating discussion about empathy and compassion and just being good colleagues um not only do we are are we entering into a time where we need all the focus that we can get and the fresh brains and eyes but we also need to be compassionate with one another because times of change are higher stress Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I think we have a bunch of good coll- colleagues anyway, but it's a, g- a good time to think about how we relate to one another in yeah. those ways. Yeah, and um, absolutely, I think that, that being bringing compassion to a situation, it breathes life into windless sails, it can uh, build bridges, and it can just be transformative. Um, so do you, did you want me to mention a bit about that or wait for another time? I think that's a whole conversation yeah. in itself. I think so, too. Yeah. I'd love to have a podcast just on that. So, you know, a hot tip, listeners, we're going to hear more from Anna, but um, all that we've talked about just so far about building resilience and how it's, it seems like it's a, it's a path of a million small steps. 
So, so when we talk about mindfulness um, and doing these things, which help you, which energize, give you more energy because you're not, it, you're not making your brain work as hard when you're doing things in a mindful way. Yeah, I think is I, that is that how you build? I, is that the re- resiliency, mindfulness connection there? Um, there, there's so many ways. Like I teach a, a four week resiliency class, and we do mindfulness practices each week. Even though mm-hmm. there's different themes each week. Like mm-hmm. the first week are stats and facts about resiliency. The second week is uh, taming and reframing the mind. The third mm-hmm. weeks are. Um, strategies to refuel more on empty mm-hmm. and the fourth week is and how to prevent empty and the mm-hmm. fourth week is strategies to continue to build resilience and through the whole practice of resiliency we're doing mindfulness restorative practices every day and kindness meditations and I think that there's um, you know it affects our outlook and perspective so I think I, just the handy um, I want to tell one more analogy. Yeah, like no, go for it. So um, Dan Siegel talks about the handy brain. And in the handy brain, if you hold up your palm, the thumb is like your your reptilian brain. So that's in charge. Of, there's there's breathing, heartbeat, and our drives. And then there's a limbic, limbic system in there, which is the thumb that mm-hmm. curls under. And um, that's all our motions. And then this is the most evolved part of our brain, the neocortex. That's the paw back of our hand. And then the fingertips is the prefrontal cortex. That's the CEO of our brain. Or the, and so sometimes what happens, Kelly McGonigal says, and she's another health psychologist from Stanford, that um, if we are one brain, two modes. And if our prefrontal cortex, if we did a functional MRI, and our prefrontal cortex is the most lit up and activated part of our brain, then that's when we have our best focus, concentration, emotional regulation, creative problem solving, compassion, empathy. It all comes from the prefrontal cortex. And when that's online, our brain is acting as it optimally can, and it's often can be a balance of the nervous systems. If we did a functional MRI and and your amygdala, which is the fight, flight, freeze mode, was Mm -hmm. the most dominant and activated part of the brain, um, that's for fight, flight, freeze, and it's not our most skilled self. And it's meant to, it actually hijacks our brain. Mm-hmm. So it draws blood flow away from our prefrontal cortex, away from the CEO of our brain, away from the mind, like really. Yeah. And we get in an automatic response mode. So we don't have access to the best that we can be. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and so if you think about it during caveman days, let's yeah. say I'm about to get attacked by a caveman or a cave, a cave lion, saber-toothed uh, tiger or something, and it's not a good time to bait. I don't need to be digesting my food. No. I don't need to be ovulating. I just need to be safe. So it makes sense why the, the amygdala it might override the, the brain. Resources. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, what these practices do is they help us get our prefrontal cortex back online. Because what happens in today's culture, they, they, it's often referred to as paper tigers. We flip our lid oh, or right. we lose, yeah, we yeah. get our, our, our prefrontal cortex goes offline or the, the captain of the ship is gone because someone cut me off in traffic or because I was waiting all day for that piece of cake and someone else ate it or you know it's like it could be all kinds of reasons and the other challenge in today's culture is when that happens and we get amygdala hijacked it's meant to go right back to normal homeostasis that's a definition of resiliency is how quickly do we recover when we've been amygdala hijacked right okay so and um and and so what happens 
is the more we practice these tools and skills, it help us recover more quickly. So, and not be stuck, but we can, so the, the mindfulness strengthens our prefrontal cortex and it strengthens our ability to get our prefrontal cortex online. It enhances our awareness of what's going on. It, and, and the the wonderful thing about the brain, I don't I imagine David Germano t- mentioned this is the neuroplasticity. So yeah. we can train our brain, yes. whatever we, we can practice, whatever we practice, mm-hmm we will improve. So if you ask your brain to practice fight, fight, freeze, or practice worrying, your brain will grow and wire in a way that will help you worry well. If you ask your brain to practice um, pause and plan to, you know, your brain will get better at that. Mm -hmm. That's great. And um, just back to how we started, I think Mm -hmm. Richie Davidson saying well-being is a skill. Mm -hmm. And so um, mindfulness is a strategy that can help us discern and, and practice the skills that in, increase our results. It's that so, make sense? It makes, it makes sense and it's so very practical, mm-hmm. but so very neglected. Yes. Yeah, yeah, our culture has missed the boat in some ways, I think, mm-hmm. in this. And what I love the most about this yeah, is, well, is wait, because Listeners, so I wish you could see us. Uh, <laughs> Anna and I are sitting on the floor, like, getting really excited about all this. <laughs> and, and, and Patty is just leaning in with so much interest. And it's, it's just, I hope that you're, in, you're, you're enjoying it as much as we are, as long as it goes <laughs> So what I love about all of this so much is that it's in, it is incredibly empowering. Yeah, it's not like I'm born a certain way or I'm not born right. a certain way. It's like I, when I practice enhancing my focus and recalling my most important intention and guiding, like getting the captain in the in the control room. When I practice these things, I can enhance the development of the brain. I can improve my brain, which can improve my my life. And just you know, to go along with the very practical reason why we have this podcast at all is that it's a, a channel of. Give, getting kind of those those extra cool bits of information that um, you know folks aren't always going to read the blog or whatever. But I mean, I know you read the blog. I know you love it. But <laughs> but it's it's so much more accessible and quick and easy to listen to something and we to talk with people about things. And we do that because people need that kind of content about um, how to work in a time of change and. Because we are asking, we are being asked as a part of transformation to think about how we can contribute and how we want to be a part of the change and not to think of the change as just something we have to suffer through or something that's being done to us. Yeah. Like, how, how am I a part of this and how do I want to function in this and how do I see myself? As you said, it's very empowering when you stop thinking about yourself as a passive um, victim of the world around you, but really start being wholly present yeah. in those situations. Yeah. And maybe if we're nearing the end. Yeah, so I feel like for today we might be. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to end by, by mentioning uh, Viktor Frankl, who was in, um, he was a Jewish psychiatrist in World War II and was in many death camps, I think four of them all together, the last of which was Auschwitz. And his family members murdered, he tortured, witness torture. But he was a he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning, which is wonderful. There's actually a, a TED talk with Viktor Frankl. I think it's a black and white video of him speaking from the seventies, which is which is really wonderful. But he says between a stimulus and a response is there's a space. And in mindfulness we'd say it's a pause. It's the pause. Mm-hmm. And and he said it's in that pause that we choose our response. 
And ideally, we want to choose our response that's in keeping with the kind of person we want to be, that's in keeping with our goal. What's within my control and in keeping with my goal. And Viktor Frankl wanted to be a man of integrity, and he wanted to be a man of courage and growing wisdom and compassion. So between a stimulus and his response, he, he'd pause, mm -hmm. and he would consider what of the options in terms of how to respond is in keeping with the kind of man he wants to be. What a great place to end for today. Yeah. And as we said, we're going to have to come back and talk to Anna more because we really haven't even touched much of the topic of compassion. Um, there's so much we have yet to talk about, and there's so much that we're going to link down in the show notes. Um, I hope that you've enjoyed today. Thank you, Anna, oh, for being with us. Thank you, um, thank you for being willing to let us come back another time, too. And audience, thank you for coming and joining us again for Finance Matters. Um, you can always read more about what we're up to in finance on the blog at uvafinance.blogspot.com. And if you have an idea or is something about what you've listened to today sparks thoughts or um, ideas for further exploration, please get in touch with us. Um, you can let us know by emailing Patty or myself or tweeting us directly at uva underscore finance. For now, until next time, do good work because what you're doing matters. Thanks again.